0: Hello, folks, and welcome to The Runtime. I'm your host, Raphael Kennedy, and this is the podcast where we go deep into software design. This week, I'm joined by Aviv Biri, a hobbyist game developer and the creator of Dome Engine. Dome Engine is a framework for making 2D games using the Ren programming language that can be played across platforms. Welcome, Aviv, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Oh, well, thank you for having me. So before we actually get started, would you mind uh, introducing the project a little and maybe tell us what a game engine actually is? Uh, sure.
1: Um, I'll start the other way around, I think. If you had, um, like, web, so web apps have web frameworks and games have game frameworks, it's a similar sort of thing. So a game engine provides the sort of baseline functionalities that you might expect when making a game um, to make it easier to develop um, games without having to make everything from scratch. So um, the standard sort of services, making it easier to supply graphics, put in the audio, um, handle the game logic in a way that makes sense um, without having to worry too much about things like, how do I load graphics on a Mac versus Windows versus Linux and that sort of thing. And even if you're not doing it cross-platform, those tasks are quite difficult. So um, having the framework there simplifies the process.
0: In web development, we have Frameworks that have different like layers, levels of granularity. Um, you know, we have some that that also provide kind of a structure for your code yeah. and a um, an organizing methodology. Um, where where in that spectrum would you say um, a framework like Dome?
1: Engine lies so Dome lies on the much more minimalist end of things. It provides very much that very first layer that bare minimum that you need to actually put something on the screen and um, play sound basically and handle input. Um, There are obviously um, other engines that people might have heard of these days that provide a lot more than that with um, a little bit more of an opinion about how things should be structured and I didn't quite want that when I was working on Dome. Fair enough.
0: So I like to get started by, by asking why did this project need to exist?
1: What were you trying to achieve doing it? All right. Um, So this project, it didn't necessarily need to exist for anybody but myself. Um, I Uh had been making a lot of games um, for game jams uh, using the Pico8 engine, um, which is a nice little console. It uses Lua. It comes in very minimalist, very constrained environment. Um, And I found myself working in that a lot for not just game jams, but for other things and getting sort of frustrated at some of those limitations. And with the language itself, Lua is lovely when you're just starting out, but it has a certain set of rough edges that make it difficult to work in for a long period of time and for multiple projects. Um, So what I wanted was a set of tools that I was comfortable using that I could just pick up and use and put down without having to worry about having to rebuild a lot of things every single time.
0: Was there something about the the Ren language that was appealing to you over Lua?
1: Yes, the main thing when I was looking at different languages I wanted to include um, was that I wanted something class-based, because Lua doesn't by default have a class system. It uses a bizarre thing of metatables, which you can kind of coerce into behaving a lot like classes in a prototypical sense, the way that you might do in JavaScript but you end up having to provide your own implementation of that and it's never intuitive. It always works differently depending on who's written it and it's it was very frustrating. So when I was looking at different languages, I found um, the Ren language and it comes with classes as a, um, a first class citizen um, and it just felt very neat to work in when I was uh, uh, looking at different languages, and it's also very easy to integrate into whatever project you're building on. It's designed specifically for embedding into other tools, so it seemed like a good fit. Um, so it sounds like one of the things you were trying to
0: achieve here was sort of building a framework that aligned to your own expectations of how how this process should work. So you're sort of you've got. You know your mental model of yeah. of the game development process and Dome Engine aligns with that. Um, is there anything besides that that harmony that you were that you were trying to view as a north star? Were you talking about performance or stability or testability? Yes. What kinds of things were you trying? So to So
1: I, I had two like there's two main things that sort of come to mind for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. sort of three. Um, So I had this experience um, at the very start of when I was making games um, for fun, where I'd made this game with a friend in Python. It was quite good. We spent a couple of weeks on it. And then when it came to actually build it and give it to people, we couldn't. It became very difficult to bundle up a Python script or a bunch of Python scripts and resources, and give it to somebody, especially if you wanted to do that for multiple platforms. So if you want to give it to somebody on Windows, they won't have Python installed at all. So that that doesn't work. And trying to get exe bundlers and things to work, it, it didn't go well. And I found myself so frustrated by that, that when I was making Dome, I wanted it to be as easy as possible to give somebody my game and for them to just be able to play it. Um, no fuss or anything. So it comes as a single executable with one bun- Well with the option of a bundleable game file, that is it, that is all you need to run, no other dependencies. Um, so that that smooth experience of receiving a thing and it just working was very important to me. Um, so that was, from from a, a both developer and user experience, that was a key thing for me. But the other side of that is the way that I go about actually designing the project. When I work on something, it's designed in a, um, a way where I only put in the things I intend to use, and I design them in the uh, based on how I want to use them before I make anything. Um, so I, I call it a usage-first design. Um, because I, 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 I sort of mock out the interface of what I want to do with this thing that I'm adding before I make it concrete, so that I know what it should look like, how it should behave.
0: Can you, um, so if usage usage first is one modality, what is, what is the opposite of usage first?
1: So, let me think. There's, I'm not sure if there's really a real term for it, but that kind of, <laughs> the way that people sort of, they come up with how the thing should work in a very mechanical sense. Like, I know that to do graphics, I have to do this thing and this thing and this thing, and we'll just sort of organically grow the, interface based on how it works rather than how I think it should work. And that distinction is quite important. So um, you sort of end up having your implementation first and then figuring out how people will use it based on that implementation, um, mm. which is the opposite of what I wanted to do.
0: And did you find that you were you were pursuing this usage-first pattern even when you were going to be the only one ever using the the software? Yeah. You're writing these these interfaces first, this, I mean, this is a pattern that exists all all over in different software domains, Mm. but you're building, building the interface before you're, you're building the implementation, um, even when you're the only consumer of the, the object.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That was, um, it was pretty much every step of the way. That was the thing that I always did first was how do I want to use this thing? And then how can I fit the implementation to match that interface? Excellent. Um,
0: Did that have anything to do with your testing approach? And I I will say, do you have a testing approach? (laughs) I
1: I don't have a, like, rigorous automated testing approach at all. I I find that very difficult generally. Um, It drives colleagues of mine crazy. But... um, I I find it particularly difficult to do automated testing in the environment of games and game development just because a lot of it is very interaction heavy and visually important, uh, visually significant. And those are very difficult things to test um, in any meaningful way, uh, in my opinion, um, without spending much more time developing your test than developing your project. And I didn't have much interest in that, especially as a sort of hobby thing on the side. Yeah so
0: that's interesting i would love to have a have a longer conversation at some point about testing in the (laughs) the domain of games Mm. where where you've got very complex state um but what were what were some of the trade-offs in in this approach so you're you're building a new a new framework essentially You're using a language that's fairly new and um, I think Ren is not, has not yet even had like an official 1.0 release. Is that
1: correct? That's right. Yeah. It's, it's still, um, it's stable, but not fixed in that way that like you would say it is stable and guaranteed to remain the way it is, but it also Mm -hmm. doesn't change very fast. So I'm comfortable building with it that way. Yeah. And you're,
0: fairly involved in the, in the, the REN language itself, I think, also.
1: Yeah, that that's actually partially um, by design, um, because it, it, it's a small community, because there's not many people using the language. And because it's designed to be embedded, actually getting to the point where you can use it for anything is quite challenging. So I sort of positioned Dome as a easy project to pick up to learn Wren, because it's a mm-hmm. pre-built environment that lets you do something fun so people often discover ren and then discover dome or vice versa
0: yeah yeah i mean that makes that makes a lot of sense um were there downsides to to trying to build this um to build this usage first class-based game engine um using this set of tooling um
1: let me think so I suppose that the, the biggest difficulty with that approach is that you kind of have to adjust a little bit. Sometimes you come up with a usage case that doesn't quite match how the thing actually has to work. There are times where you have to make concessions for um, the implementation. And those are sometimes not ideal. Um, uh, like there are things that you don't you can't always plan for when you're trying to do that kind of design so you end up having to fill in the extra bits and then sort of smooth it over but that do you have an example um i think probably the biggest one ended up being things around how audio gets loaded i'll probably be talking about the audio system a lot actually i've done it a couple times um but the uh like the the way that you kind of deal with audio you want to load the file like the 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 thought is i want to play a sound right so i want to play a sound just play me the sound Um, and then you realize oh you can't do that because you actually have to load the file into memory first and have it mixed up and ready to be played at the right sample rate and things um, so the right speed um and so there has to be a couple of steps before you can say play me the sound before you can do that. And you don't realize that when you're initially designing the system. All
0: right, Um,
1: were there there any other trade-offs that that you
0: were particularly brushing up against?
1: Mm. Not anything that immediately comes to mind. It can be a bit tricky occasionally to come up with a design that I am happy with for a use case, Mm -hmm. just because it can take a little while to settle. Um, And there are risks in doing things that way because occasionally you might want to change something later Um, that's actually more of a um, it's not directly related to this approach but it's a thing that i have to be aware of when working on this kind of project is how you change things if they're not working Um, but i think the approach itself is fairly sound
0: can you talk about things that you that you've done to to make that process smoother or Techniques that you've you've developed for handling handling that ex post facto
1: change. Yeah, um, there's kind of two things I can think of. Um, so the first thing is obviously that I, I I don't actually land anything without being happy with it to start with. So I always create something in a pull request separately, and I I use it for a bit before I say this is the fixed version that I'm going to give out to people. Um, so that's sort of the first half of the approach is that I'm 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 cautious about what I add. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm mindful of that. But the second half is how you handle things when they have to change, because occasionally something has to change. Um, And where possible, I will... um, Generally, at the moment, I've never had to remove anything from Dome. Um, I have deprecated a couple of things, but I've not actually got to the point of taking something out yet, um, because we've not reached that point. But there have been times where I will provide an alternate interface to something. If I decide that later I want to change something, I will retain the old functionality with the marker that says, this is deprecated, use the new thing. Um, But then I will provide like an expanded version of that interface in the new system um, so that you don't break the backwards compatibility there. Um, And quite often the trick is to then implement your old version of your interface using the new interface. So it's all using one path of code.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: um, it's quite important Because I am um, I'm the middleware here um, <laughs> I i have to be re- I believe at least that I have to be careful About what I add and what I break Because there are things depending on me And they're not choosing the things that I Am putting in or taking out So mm-hmm. I'm, I take that role Very seriously
0: Yeah and presumably because I think you're somewhat of a one man Operation you don't want to be, you know, you mentioned Python, in the land where you have Python two seven and three oh, yeah. in parallel for decades.
1: Yeah, that that that's just I, I don't even know how they could have allowed that to happen. But. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I mean, so that that makes a lot of sense. That's something that again, that's something we deal with in in all different domains of software development. Yeah. Um so can you can you talk about a time that you made a, a design decision in the language that that
1: ended up being wrong or counterproductive um yeah um so this is something i wanted to go back to with the audio system i yeah. so the way that the audio kind of used to work was that you would ask for audio to be loaded and then all of that stuff about how audio worked was managed from the REN side of the operation. It would say, I'm loading audio, give me the audio, I will hold on to it. Um, and then it would make the, the, the REN engine would then call over to the C uh Dome is written in C, and it would ask the C stuff all the resources, and store it all on the REN side and then handle it that side. And that became quite troublesome with this new thing that I've started putting in for um, uh, extensions, uh, plugins I've been calling them, where you want to be able to add on additional features to Dome without having to make modifications to the core directly. And it, I mm-hmm. wanted to be able to add like audio extensions so that you can play things that don't match that standard system of an audio file, um, synthesizers mm-hmm. and the like. And suddenly I needed to access all of the audio system stuff from the C side not the REN mm-hmm. site. So I kind of had to invert the whole architecture of the system. So it was a full rewrite basically to change the responsibility from one side to the other. All right.
0: The decision to include responsibility for, for audio inside of the, the REN portion sounds like that was um, something you ended up wanting to change is, are there reasons that you originally had it, had it on that side and did that, did that change end up
1: upsetting things that were that were useful? Uh, so fortunately, it, it actually didn't involve any severe interfa- interface breakages. Um, the actual, like as far as I can tell, nothing actually broke as a result of this. Um, but it, it, if you I, disagree, tweet at. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah, le- normally if something breaks, people let me know pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but I also, I, I mean, I have my own projects that I check against and whatever, so it's no big deal. <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, we are I'm always happy to receive feedback and uh, bug fixes and bug notices and whatever. Um, but the, the reason I started holding that stuff in REN to begin with is that it... Generally, just makes the memory management easier because REN is a dy- dynamic language, so I don't have to work as hard when I'm implementing things initially um, to put things like this in. Uh, I don't have to manage that memory basically because I, I can just sort of say, "Give me memory," and it does it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a programmer laziness thing rather than uh, any other consideration.
0: Have there been things that you learned um, in building this project that you would use going forward? They don't
1: necessarily need to be about software design but um i think there's a couple of different things um i Mm -hmm. the the big one is the power of saying no to things um (laughs) it's not it's like quite often someone comes to you and they say oh i think that your project should do this thing for me so that i don't have to do it and Mm -hmm. the first thought in my head is always do i want that do i do i need to do that is that my job to do that should i be doing that Um, Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that that matters especially for Dome, because the things that I include, I have to maintain myself, Mm -hmm. usually. And I also have to give that to everybody. Because Dome comes as a single package, if I add something, everyone receives that thing, whether they're using it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is overhead for them, because then they have to include the extra disk space and any other overhead that comes from having a new system added in. So... The power of saying no is that i can say no that's not my job i don't want that everywhere you can add it in this other way and that's quite Mm -hmm. often the thing that i end up doing is i say i don't need to do that because there is a way of doing it already or there is a workaround Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. there are things that have occasionally cropped up over the years where i couldn't say no um the thing has to be done in engine um and so i i concede on those points with some resistance usually um but the first step is always do i need that Mm -hmm. Um, and taking that to other projects i think is quite powerful as well for the same reason you you can say to people this feature is nice but i don't need to do it Mm -hmm. and so you can focus on other things that are more important and just having the confidence to say that is is good i think it's too easy to say yes to some things
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so a, a former guest um André Staltz talked about um, your role sometimes is as the, the defender of the framework, that you're kind of, there are requests that would take you in lots of different directions and sometimes you have to to be the voice of a core, you know, a core philosophy or methodology. Um, yeah. And yeah, it seems like maybe an implicit design decision here is that that
1: minimalism is important part of the the dome engine yeah it's it's uh i'm not sure if it was clear the dome is an acronym or a backronym so the m in dome it was is not clear to me yeah <laughs> uh, right. it is it is a bit buried um yeah it, it, uh, i don't know if you want to go into this digression but um, yeah no Do so it. i started from the name dome um <laughs> because which is
0: sorry that's a, that's like a it's a ren Nest, right? That's
1: right, yeah. D- uh, this is the thing that I found out. I was reading up about wrens, because I was trying to pick a name, and it I f- turns out they make dome-shaped nests. So okay. um, I picked the name dome. It sounded cool. I thought it would be all-encompassing. Um, and then I was like, it should probably stand for something. People like it when stuff stands <laughs> for something. And I went through a, diff- a couple different orientations for that. So it, it ended up, at least for now, I might change it, as design-oriented minimalist engine. Excellent. Although, you
0: know, it could have been design-oriented maximalist engine well, yeah. in a very different direction.
1: Well, originally it was um, like dynamic, opinionated minimalist engine, so that tells you a bit about me. <laughs> <laughs> You've got dynamic opinions. Exactly.
0: Yeah. All right, um, so how can
1: people get involved in Dome? Um, so the big thing, just make, uh, take, take it and make something with it. That's the first step, just, just make something. See what you like about it, what you don't like about it. Um, get, a, get a feel for what it can do for you and just enjoy the process of using it. Um, and then if there's something that you feel is missing, then you're welcome to um, submit an issue on GitHub um, for feature requests, or even if you feel really confident, you can dig into the code yourself and um, add on whatever you like. Um, and I, I review um, the code that people submit, and I will always take good feedback. Um, there's also um, our Discord, where we welcome people to share what they're working on. Um, so, yeah.
0: All right, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Um, and can you talk a little bit about some some other projects that you love?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the, the big one, obviously, the Ren language itself is, something that I obviously am very involved in so that's kind of redundant um there's if you're interested in making games at all there's a series of videos by Casey Muratori about uh, called Handmade Hero where he goes through step by step from scratch on the process of making games and a game engine um which I found both very interesting because it's it's fun to see someone take that process the whole way through um, but also his particular philosophy um, had a lot of impact on the way that I approached Dome's development and other things moving forward. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, I think it's like, um, he does like an hour and a half a day or did for several years now. So I don't think there's any hope of ever catching up to it though.
0: <laughs> You'd have to be very committed. Oh yeah. Um, and you... You had uh, a pretty long tweet thread talking about um, the the
1: design and build process of Dome as well. Yeah. Um, um, I'm, I'm a very heavy Twitter user. It helps me sort of just output things from my brain. Um, Dome, I originally started it when I was in a pretty dark place, and it was giving me something to focus on. So just tracking the development was a big deal for me at the time. So, Excellent. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that about brings
0: us to the end of the episode. Um, do you have anything of yours that you'd like to promote?
1: Um, obviously, you can check out Dome at domeengine.com. And you can find me on Twitter at um, Aviv Beery. Um, I also occasionally stream on Twitch, um, but I post links to that on Twitter. So it's just easy to go there. Um, I, I, I stream... I I stream myself making um, stuff, Um, so either I'm working on Dome or a game in Dome. At the moment, I'm taking a bit of a digression to make Game Boy games, so uh, yeah, it it gets a bit interesting. Um, I did, uh, we had, um, there was the seven-day roguelike challenge uh, back in March, and I streamed about four days worth of footage on that, uh, of me just going through the process of making things, so it's a bit of a, a variety of development stuff your games are available to play on itch is that yes that's right yeah um pretty much everything almost everything eventually gets posted up there nothing hugely interesting but they're they're good tech demos at the very least of what dome can do um and that is at avivbiri.itch.io all
0: right well thank you again for your time um links to everything that we've discussed will be in the show notes have a wonderful day and thank you you for being here Thank you so much. Well, that wraps it up for this week on The Runtime. I remain your host, Raphael Kennedy. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe and, if possible, leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps to spread the word. If you have thoughts, feedback, or ideas of folks that I should interview for the show, please reach out either via email at raphael at runtimepodcast.com or on Twitter at podcastruntime.